Lil. He's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Good evening, Ottawa. I was about to say good morning, Ottawa. I'm just so used to to saying that. Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, and um, what a weird weekend in news it was. If you can't tell, I'm kind of casual here today. If you're watching on Facebook Live, um, if you... Uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you are going to notice that I am incredibly casual here on Beyond the News tonight. Got the ball cap on, got the the T-shirt on. Why? Because it is stinking hot out here. So we've got a ton of stuff to talk about, everything from a major department store apologizing for naming bras and lingerie after former Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin to a an Amber Alert canceled in the best of ways. Well, best that you can hope for to the fact that we've got gangland fears in the mob on edge, all of that tonight. But why don't we start on the issue of NAFTA? Because NAFTA is kind of on the edge right now, isn't it? We used to have big discussions about NAFTA. Do you remember that? We used to have debates. We used to have elections over the issue of NAFTA. And could we... Could we actually have free trade with the Americans without erasing the the border? Do you remember that ad? This piece of paper. And there were two guys across and they just erased the border from the between Canada and the United States. And that was the liberal election ad in 1988. And it didn't work, did it? Didn't work at all. And people said, yeah, no, I'm fine. Fine trading with the United States. And do you know why? Because. Canadians were used to trading with the United States because Canadians knew that that is where most of our trade went. And so today, it's a little strange to hear Prime Minister Justin Trudeau turn around and say, well, we're, we're going to really take part in this uh, TPP. We're going to do TPP real big because... That's where our trade is now. Now, why is it weird to hear Justin Trudeau say that? Well, because prior prior to Parliament rising for the summer, the Conservatives went to them and said, all right, you got legislation to pass the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or now the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, because he made them change the name. Let's do it. Several times. And Trudeau said, Nope. Now, the Liberals are now trying to claim, well, the NDP said no to uh, unanimous consent. That wouldn't have mattered. The Conservatives were out there early enough that the Liberals could have said, guess what? We are having trouble with NAFTA. Let's move on this now. Instead, what do we have? We have this weekend. Justin Trudeau coming out and saying, we're going to push forward on Trans-Pacific Partnership. This upcoming session will move ahead with Bill C-79 to implement the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. 
The CPTPP will ensure Canadian businesses can get their products to new markets, reach more customers, and create more of the good middle-class jobs Canadians need. So with NAFTA teetering last June, last May, last June, the Conservatives said, let's pass this now. And the Liberals said no. And then we went into a lull in negotiations. You know that there were no negotiations with the Americans from the end of May until after the talks with Mexico concluded. Why? A couple of reasons. They took a break for the G7. That was part of it. And then, of course, at the G7, as reported, not by me, not by me. So for all the haters watching, for all the haters listening that want to say, Lily, you're making crap up. No. This was reported by your beloved state broadcaster, CBC. CBC reported that Trudeau and Trump were in a bilateral meeting and Trump offered a concession on the Sunset Clause. Said, okay, fine, fine. I don't want to give you a concession, but we're having a good talk. We'll have a concession on the Sunset Clause. CBC's reporting. Then Trump gives his closing news conference where he says, you know what? He wants to get rid of all tariffs, all subsidies. And as far as the sunset clause, well, some people want it longer. Some people want it shorter. But, you know, he's open. Okay, that's good. And then Trudeau comes out at the G7 and I will not be pushed around by the Americans on the sunset clause. Oh, oh, I'm strong. Of course, it annoyed Trump. And then within days, Christia Freeland is what? In Washington, D.C., accepting an award for Diplomat of the Year and being anything but diplomatic by attacking Donald Trump on his own soil, in his own backyard. Look, you don't have to like the guy, but you're the lead negotiator in the middle of negotiations with the guy, and you show up and you just turn around and, and dump all over him. Talk about how awful he and his policies are in veiled language, but everyone knows what you're talking about. And remember, up until that point, any of you that listened to me said, heard me say time and time and time again, Christia Freeland's doing a great job. Christia Freeland's the adult in the room. Christia Freeland is handling the Americans and the Trump administration wonderfully. And then she did that. And then last week, she went on that panel talking about taking on the tyrant, which compared Donald Trump to Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian dictator that's killing his own people. Is it any wonder that she's persona non grata at the White House? Is it any reason that they have cut her off, that Trump is furious with her? And what do we have? We've got Canadian Officials coming out and telling CBC, again, for all you haters out there, this is not me, this is CBC. Oh, yeah, well, there's that deadline that the Americans and the Mexicans put in for October 1st. But, you know, we don't think we've got to meet that. So we're just, you know, we're going to hold out. Yeah, you sound like the guy that can't get the date who's like, yeah. So I asked this girl out and she's not sure, but, you know, I'm going to wait. She'll come around. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll totally happen. No, it won't. She turned you down. She turned you down. 
We got more than 120 people watching on, uh, almost 125 people watching on Facebook Live. I want to encourage all of you watching right now to click share on this right now so that more people know about this radio show at night and so that more people know about what is happening with these trade negotiations where Justin Trudeau and Christy Freeland are playing chicken and it could cost you or your neighbor or your family member their jobs. Please click share right now. If you're watching on Facebook Live, this is absolute insanity to what's going on. Now, high level talks, they're supposed to resume this week in Washington. Do you really think Christia Freeland is welcomed by the White House? No, not at all. Not at all. And yet she's out there saying she and the U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthouser have agreed to meet face to face to try and hammer out, uh, continue hammering out an understanding of each other's positions on NAFTA. I've been in touch today with Ambassador Lighthizer and his team, uh, and we agreed that we would continue to talk in Washington later this week. Uh, the specifics of our calendar we haven't quite yet worked out, uh, but we will be meeting in Washington later this week. Translation, he hasn't really showed up for a date, right? He hasn't agreed to a date. He's not looking for a date. You're asking for a date, but he hasn't offered one, has he? In the meantime, Doug Ford is heading down to Washington. Ontario's premier said, I'm going to Washington. I'm showing up. We're doing this. He's taking Jim Wilson, Ontario's economic development minister. They are going to meet with Canadian officials. They're showing up to demand uh, an update from the ambassador and the negotiators on the Canadian side. And they're going to try and meet with the Americans and say, we need this done. In fact, that was what uh, Jim Wilson was saying this morning. We need a deal. We absolutely need to get a deal done. I don't think that Trudeau gets that. I think that he can just float on by, that he can wait for the deal that he wants. That's not the way things are. Wilson was asked, what can you get? Face-to-face, you can't get over the phone. Jim Wilson, the economic development minister, said, I think looking people in the eye and making sure that we are very, very serious about needing a deal for Ontario workers. A million jobs overnight would be lost if we lost NAFTA. A million jobs in the States. Retaliatory tariffs. It might pull in. Jim Wilson knows what this means. Doug Ford knows what this means. And he points out that he's hearing the rumors, too, that Trudeau and his gang may not want a deal. Why? Because they want to campaign against Donald Trump in the next election. As I wrote in my column in The Sun yesterday, it is about time that Justin Trudeau and the liberals started showing that they are on board with making sure that your job is as secure as their job, more secure. They need to make sure that They are looking after your jobs and not theirs, but they're not. They're not at all. We've got a chief negotiator that's not welcomed at the White House. We've got a chief negotiator that has annoyed the president by comparing him to Bashar al-Assad. We've got a chief negotiator that can't get the job done. And she's working for the guy that just annoys the man on the other side. 
My goodness, folks, we are in a tough time. Forget all the stuff at Queen's Park. We'll talk about that later on. And in fact, in a couple of moments, we will be talking to a man that was at the negotiation sessions to patriate the Constitution. Not repatriate. Remember, it's patriate the Constitution. We'll talk to Norman Spector, who was there as a bureaucrat, who knows what was said, who knows who said what, what was agreed to on this notwithstanding clause that caused all the protesters to show up last night. But guess what? All of that pales in comparison to losing a deal on NAFTA, to losing preferential treatment to the American market. We take 18% of American exports. They take 76% of ours. Guess who needs a deal? More than us. We need the deal more than they do. Remember that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's five things you need to know. Number one story you need to know. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Doug Ford has got to go. That may as well have been one of the chants last night at Queens Park as protesters laid on their backs and kicked against the walls as if they were little babies. Oh, that's them chanting, let us in, let us in. Oh, they sounded tough then, didn't they? But have you seen the video? It's been tweeted out widely. It was... uh, One of our folks, I believe it's CP24, that tweeted it out. They literally lined up. They laid down next to the floor, kind of like turtles on their backs, and they put their feet against the wall. It's a big freaking stone walls. But they kept kicking the wall like they're babies and and chanting because they're upset that, that, that the government is using the Constitution to pass something that's constitutionally valid. Yeah, Doug Ford was uh, was not having any of it last night as they did their overnight session at the legislature. Hopefully uh, this is one further step to get this bill uh, uh, moving forward and uh, just look forward to start building housing and transit and infrastructure for the people of Toronto. You know, I, look, I, uh, I get why the premier is doing this and I hope that he doesn't spend his entire time focusing on Toronto. And I don't think he will if he does. Well, Premier Ford will hear from me, but this, you know, for all the people saying, why are they spending all their time on this? Because the left is fighting it in court and inventing weird rulings for why it can't happen. So uh, the Premier said, forget it. They're going to pass it by this Thursday, gives 30 days. That is completely valid election time frame. Completely valid. Remember when the left was claiming that because of Stephen Harper calling the election in August for October, that we needed to have time limits on elections? 
Well, hey, you got what you wanted. Story number two, the floor crosser today. Did you see this coming? I didn't. A liberal MP stood up in the House of Commons and said that she must put part or co- country before party. I'm sorry. Country before party. And then crossed the floor to join the uh, conservatives saying that Andrew Scheer had the leadership that was needed. Leona Alessa, uh, Aless Lev. I'll learn to say her name. She is from Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, a riding north of Toronto, and she said that she's been raising serious issues the Liberals have been ignoring. My attempts to raise my concerns with this government were met with silence. And as I said in the House, the government must be challenged openly. And for me to publicly criticize the government as a Liberal would undermine the government and, according to my code of conduct, be dishonorable. And so, Miss Aleslev crossed the floor, joined the Conservatives, and says she will run for them in the next election. Believes Andrew Scheer has what, has what it takes for leadership in 2019. Uh, high-level talks continue. Christia Freeland says that she is going back to Washington to talk with Robert Lighthizer, but doesn't quite know when. I've been in touch today with Ambassador Lighthizer and his team, uh, and we agreed that we would continue to talk in Washington later this week. Uh, the specifics of our calendar we haven't quite yet worked out, uh, that, but we will be mm, meeting in Washington later this week. That doesn't make me feel good. It's one thing if Doug Ford hasn't worked out who he's meeting with when he goes down to Washington on the American side, and... Believe me, Doug Ford will be looking to meet with Americans in the administration when this happens. But it's more concerning when Christy Freeland doesn't have a time to meet with Robert Lighthizer yet. You know, is he washing his hair? I don't know. Story number four, this bizarre murder on Walkley near Bank at a hotel. Here's what one of the hotel guests was saying. I went out for a cigarette, and I'm like, there were cop cars all over the place and cops all over. And I'm like, what is going on here? From what we do know, well, we know a lot more than we can say, but from what we do know, a man was found dead inside one of the hotel rooms. Uh, Witnesses have been talking to the police. There are people that are of interest, and uh, reports say that the man may have been bound at the time. They're calling it a suspicious death, but let's face it, this is a homicide investigation. And story number five, it is one month to go until pot becomes legal in this country. What does that mean for you going to the border? That's part of what CTV Ottawa was talking about tonight in their marijuana cannabis special. Quite frankly, if you show up sort of doing that Cheech and Chong thing, you're going into secondary. But if you if you present yourself in a responsible way and, and answer the questions honestly, I think overwhelmingly Canadians don't have uh, anything to be concerned about. Do you believe Bill Blair on that? I'm not sure that I would. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk to Norman Spector next. Political pundit. Former top bureaucrat who was there for the Constitution coming back. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA.
just one of the many sounds of the protesters last night at Queen's Park as they were determined to shut down the passage of Bill 31. They're outraged at two things. They're outraged at uh, shrinking Toronto City Council, which the province has every constitutional right to do. In fact, they could abolish Toronto City Council according to the Canadian Constitution. That might have been easier than shrinking the size of council. But they could do that. Then they're also outraged about the use of the notwithstanding clause. And we've heard a number of things. One, um, it should only be used in extreme circumstances. That's what we're being told now. Only under extreme circumstances. Well, what about all the times Quebec just basically stapled it to the front of every bill they passed from 1982 to what, 87 or 88? Did they complain about that? Did they complain last year? Did you see a single national editorial Did it lead a single national newscast when Saskatchewan used it on a school issue earlier this year? It only received royal assent in May. No. And the other thing that we're now hearing is that this is not what the framers intended. Suddenly, all these law professors that hate the idea of originalism or um, I forget the other term for original. There's a few different terms for looking at the intention of the people that passed the law. They hate that. They love the living tree doctrine where you interpret the charter or the constitution in how you see it now, not in how it or the law was passed. They hate everything but the living tree. Now they want originalist intent. It's very strange. It turns out, though, that some of the people that were there in the room actually believed that the notwithstanding clause should be used more often. And I've been learning an awful lot about that by following the Twitter feed of Norm Spector. Norm Spector is... Former bureaucrat who, Norm, help me out with this. He joins me on the line now from Victoria. You came from the bureaucratic side because people will say, well, he's just a former chief of staff to Brian Mulroney, so he's a Tory hack. You came out of the nonpartisan public service side of things before becoming chief of staff. That's right. I've been a uh, public servant my whole career, and uh, when I was uh, chief of staff to Prime Minister Mulroney, I was seconded from the public service into the prime minister's office, much as Derek Burney was. Derek Burney also uh, remained a public servant uh, from external affairs. And um, after I was uh, ambassador to Israel, uh, I came back and Mr. Krejci reappointed me into the public service as a deputy minister. So, yes, And so you, you, wor- you worked under liberal and conservative governments? That's correct. Okay, so in... The early 1980s, the talks are going on to bring the Constitution to Canada, to patriate, not repatriate, but to patriate the Constitution. And what was your job then? Why were you privy to so much of what is under discussion now by people that are saying, oh, nobody ever intended for this? So in 1981, I was a deputy minister to Premier Bill Bennett of British Columbia, and um, he... uh, in 1981, became chair of the Premier's Conference. And uh, the constitutional initiative was ongoing, and it got very active after the Supreme Court ruled uh, on September 24, 1981, that Mr. Trudeau's unilateral patriation, he had only the support of two provinces, New Brunswick and Ontario, was uh, legal, but unconstitutional in the conventional sense of the word. And at that point, 
he was essentially forced back to the bargaining table with the provinces. And Mr. Bennett uh, traveled across the country trying to get the provinces interested in resuming negotiations. He was hoping for a resolution rather than a fight in England over the Constitution. And eventually the provinces and Ottawa got back to the table uh, uh, in November of 1981 with the... uh, final meeting on the morning of November 5th, 1981, where the provinces and uh, Ottawa agreed uh, on a package that essentially became the Constitution of Canada. Now, what we've been told over the last few days, and of course there was the the joint letter from Jean Chrétien, who was uh, Pierre Trudeau's attorney general at the time, uh, Roy McMurtry, who was Ontario's attorney general, and who am I forgetting? Roy, Roy Romano from Saskatchewan. He was Saskatchewan's attorney general. Correct. They're all saying it was never intended to be like this. But you've been pointing me towards Brian Peckford, who was, um, how do we put this, an actual premier? Brian Peckford was the premier of Newfoundland in 1981. And he ended up presenting the compromise provincial proposal at that final meeting on November 5th, 1981. So, so he, he didn't just agree to it. He presented it to correct. Pierre Trudeau. That's correct. That following, the, you know, the premiers met for breakfast that morning at the Chateau Laurier, and then they walked over to the old railway station, which was a conference center at that point. And uh, that was the ultimate meeting on the fifth floor of the conference center, the morning of November 5th, where nine premiers and uh, Pierre Trudeau agreed, with Quebec not agreeing. Remember, Quebec did not agree to the patriation package. Now, look, Jean Chrétien, Roy McMurtry, and Roy Romano played very important roles uh, in the entire uh, patriation of the Constitution, but they were not at the table for the final negotiations. Their premiers were. Okay. Or the Prime Minister of Canada was. So, I mean, Bill Davis has also come out against this, and, and, and that allows people to say, see, framers didn't like this, but Davis would be one, Peckford one. would be another. Well, you see, he is one, and again, the way that the forces lined up then was that Pierre Trudeau had the support of two provinces, New Brunswick and Ontario. And the gang of eight were opposed to him. And what happened at that final meeting was um, a uh, compromise uh, on both the Charter of Rights and the amending formula, which were the key issues. Seven seven provinces, 50% of the population. Yes, that's the general amending formula. There are all several amending formulas, but essentially the whole package was agreed to. So uh, as in any uh, situation like this, there were people who had different... Uh, positions that ended up in the compromise. I mean, Alan Blakeney was an NDP premier, Roy Romano's premier. From Saskatchewan. Who, who was supporting the notwithstanding clause for good for left-wing reasons. He thought that the Supreme Court one day could do, as in the United States, become very conservative and quash all social reform. And he thought that the legislature should have the final say in those situations. Whereas Sterling Lyon was coming from the right, he was a classic British parliamentarian from Manitoba, and he wanted to make sure that his government would have 
the ultimate say. So there were all kinds of expectations, but but what's happened is from the beginning, there were people who did not like the deal. Mm -hmm. And they were essentially the people, acolytes of Pierre Trudeau, largely centered in the Toronto, in Toronto, with their beacon being the Toronto star. They did not like the deal. And they've essentially been trying to delegitimize this clause that Mr. Trudeau agreed to for almost 40 years. That's been their objective. And they've been getting their agenda through the courts. And as I pointed out the other day, speaking with Norman Spector, longtime civil servant, he was there for these negotiations on the Constitution and the notwithstanding clause. He knows who was on which side. And it's important that you listen to him as you hear all these people say, well, no one intended that. Not true. Um, As I've been pointing out, there's Section 1. And the courts use this on an almost daily basis. I may be exaggerating just a little bit, but there will be some weeks where, yeah, every day there's a court decision that says, yes, your rights were violated, but under Section 1 in a free and democratic society, it's acceptable. So the courts can rule that it's okay for your rights to be violated, and you have no remedy. You may be able to appeal, but the Supreme Court is no less willing to invoke Section 1 than lower courts. So we've got the ability to shut down your basic fundamental freedoms, even when a court finds them to have been violated, if a court says so. So why not if a politician says so? People have actually read the Charter of Rights. The, The thing that you have to understand is that it's not written like the American Bill of Rights, which, for example, says Congress shall pass no law abridging freedom of expression. The Canadian Charter of Rights, despite all the mythology that's grown up around it, guarantees your rights and mine subject to uh, infringement. It allows governments to infringe upon our rights. It guarantees our rights only to the extent that governments have to prove that their infringement is reasonable in a free and democratic society. So it's a very different approach. It doesn't end up all that differently from the United States, but it is a different approach. But there's been, but there's been such a mythology around the, the Charter of Rights that it's this document that sets out all our rights. It doesn't. It allows uh, well, we, the government had to these... infringe in Section 1, yeah. subject to the courts, and uh, in Section ruling, 33. Say, but it also allows governments to override certain sections of the Charter, not the entire Charter. And, and, and you've got people saying now, well, we need to get rid of Section 33, the notwithstanding clause. I would never agree to that as long as Section 1 still stands. Well, uh, look, uh, it, it, it's entirely legitimate for people to want to amend the Constitution, but it's also extremely difficult to amend the Constitution, mm-hmm. as we've learned. So what's happened is these people have been trying to delegitimize the clause, and they've been sort of suggesting that there was an agreement that it wouldn't be used. That's so balderdash. Wa- there was no agreement that it not be used. What, was there, there were, a lot of, you were there for the Mulroney years. Uh, I, I know that former Prime Minister Mulroney said the notwithstanding clause made the uh, the charter not worth the paper it's printed on. We all know that that clause, and it's been trotted out a lot to try and delegitimize the stand his daughter's taking now in the Ontario legislature. And you've got people saying, well, why aren't you following your father? A little bit misogynistic, i got to say, and I don't throw that around lightly. 
but the fact is, we, we've we got it in there. He never tried to get rid of it, and Quebec used it on a regular basis while he was prime minister. Well, not only did Quebec use it, but, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, after I came to Ottawa, I was secretary of the cabinet for federal provincial relations. When I was involved, in, I was responsible for constitutional reform. And <clears throat> during the period that... Uh, Quebec used the notwithstanding clause on its sign law. This wasn't the PQ. This was Bourassa, the Liberal Party. Yeah. Oh, the Liberals used have been horrible on that law. in Quebec. We unearthed a document in our files at the Federal Provincial Relations Office in Ottawa where Pierre Trudeau promised to use the notwithstanding clause. He sent a letter to Cardinal Carter of Toronto um, promising that if the courts ever, during the patriation exercise, promising Cardinal Carter that if the courts ever ruled, ever found that there was a right to abortion in the Charter of Rights, he would invoke the notwithstanding clause. So all those people who are today saying it was agreed it wouldn't be used is balderdash. Okay, and let me let me ask you this. Again, speaking with Norm Inspector, who was there for these talks, a longtime civil servant, um, Norm, they're all claiming Framer's intent now. So one of the framers said, we'll use the notwithstanding clause if there's a right to an abortion. You can point to abortion, same-sex marriage. The Prime Minister of Canada. The Prime Minister of Canada, yes. You can point to abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, assisted suicide, all of these social issues that the courts at one point ruled one way, then at another point ruled another way and said – well, we found, you know, how this applies to the charter now. That is only because of the living tree. If we go with the original intent, framers' intent argument, all those things disappear. Well, yes. Uh, the, 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 the thing about any agreement is that the text basically shows the degree of agreement. So if, the, for example, the framers had wanted the... Uh, notwithstanding clause, to be limited to exceptional uses, they would have written that. And they they did not. And what they did instead is, and this was at Pierre Trudeau's insistence at the final meeting, I was in the room, as was Roy Romano. We were not at the table, he and I. We sat behind our premiers. What Pierre Trudeau insisted at that meeting was that there be a five-year proviso on any override of a charter right, which would mean that in order to renew it, there would have to be an election that intervened. Yeah, and that's so, a fair compromise. That's exactly right. So, so first of all, his first compromise was that he allowed certain rights in his charter to be overridden. Okay? That mm. was not the original idea. The original idea was that there would be no notwithstanding clause. He had to compromise. He had to accept that certain sections of his charter could be overridden. And then the next, but to, to try to limit that to a certain extent, he, he insisted on political accountability for it, which is what uh, you're going to see in, in Ontario. Essentially, what will happen there is that no one should doubt the legal and constitutional right of Mr. Ford and his government to override a judicial decision. It's in the Constitution. It's part of the Constitution. However, 
he will be politically accountable, which means that the voters will have the final say before he can ever renew that clause. All right. Norman, it, it has been wonderful talking to you tonight. Really has. Uh, we, we're well beyond time. I kept you much longer than I said I would, and I'm well beyond, beyond uh, going to uh, an ad break. But uh, thank you for the insight on Not what really happened at that time. I hope we can do it again. Have a good evening. All right. Norman Spector joining us from Victoria tonight. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in maybe moments. We'll see. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580CFRA. There's many a man that's had to apologize for lingerie questions or purchases or suggestions, but have you ever had to apologize to a former Supreme Court justice over lingerie? Uh, I, I Let me just state for the record, I have not. I have not. Uh, not to any of the Supreme Court uh, chief justices. Not Dixon, not uh, not Lamar, not McLaughlin, none of them. Uh, Simons, the department store, can't say that. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. I'm sorry, I can't stop giggling. But it, it's it's there in my email. I know there's stories out there about it, but I happen to be a, a customer of Simons, and I'm I'm a little little weirded out by this. Uh, it's it's a weird story. I'll tell you coming up in about uh, ten minutes' time. Did you know? That today is National Play-Doh Day. It's also, and this is where I, the point of the show where I go through made-up holidays. It is also National Cinnamon Raisin Bread Day, National Step Family Day, National Working Parents Day. Those last two could go together, and Mayflower Day. As usual, I know nothing about what these are. Uh, Monday Night Football, Seahawks at the Bears, Blue Jays at the Orioles tonight. And, um, yeah, we'll give you some celebrity birthdays and on this day in history coming up in a little bit. But is this going to be one of those days that's recognized in history? On this day in history, Justin Trudeau faced his first deflection from the Liberal Party as a Liberal MP. From the riding of Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, that's in the Seat Rich area north of Toronto, the fabled 905, one of his MPs, a former Canadian Forces officer, a former executive in the aerospace and defense industries, walked away from the Liberal Party. Leona Aleslev is making the stunning announcement. On the first day of the fall session of Parliament, she stood up in the House of Commons to make the announcement that she was crossing the floor. She made the announcement and then walked across. Leader of Her Majesty's Opposition and his team, 
have a firm grasp of the urgent issues we face as Canadians and the resolve to confront them. And it is my duty to align myself with those values. Wow. Absolutely wow. Aleslev said that she made the decision after being ignored by the Liberals when she raised serious issues over the last several years. My attempts to raise my concerns with this government were met with silence. And as I said in the House, the government must be challenged openly. And for me to publicly criticize the government as a Liberal would undermine the government and according to my code of conduct, be dishonorable. All right, so who is this woman? Well, she's 50 years old. She is the, was, sorry, the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Public Services and Procurement. That was until this past January. She lost that. Uh, Her father was a, a major general in the Royal Canadian Air Force. She herself graduated from the Royal Military College in 1991. She served as a logistics officer in the Air Force, retiring with the rank of captain. She also worked at terms with uh, with Bombardier, elsewhere in the aerospace industry. She brings a lot. She has an impressive resume, and she beat out Costo, Costas Menegakis for this riding in the last election. And Costas had been, I believe, a one-time MP, or, or sorry, a one-term MP. Let me just see. Yeah, he was elected in uh, in the May 2011 election, and he ended up losing to her. So they've stolen someone from the Liberals. This is not as unusual when it's going from the opposition to the government in power. I can think of lots of examples. David Emerson, I showed up. Bill Carroll was there with the Winnebago for News Talk 1010. You know, back when he still thinks he was my boss. And uh, so I was the the parliamentary reporter and Bill uh, came up to do the the big broadcast for the swearing-in of the government after the 2006 election. I'm pretty sure Bill was on that broadcast. And they sent up, because normally when the Winnebago came, Bill was there. And, yeah, we used to have to park it at this awful hotel in Vanier and then drive it up to Rideau Hall. And we had a spot and you could see everything. And and we had the broadcast center and I had to stand outside in the cold. Um, You know, it was interesting, but what have you. David Emerson shows up to be sworn into cabinet. What? David Emerson was just the... Uh, one of the ministers, I believe, on trade for the Liberals. Well, Harper said, why don't you stay in that position? You're doing a good job. And Emerson said, I'm just here to serve my country. Same answer that Leona Aleslev is giving, except she's moving over, not so she can continue serving her country, but because she believes that the current government is on the wrong path. Now, I know a lot of you think conservatives, liberals, elsewhere, otherwise, think, and the NDP actually has this as a policy, that you shouldn't be allowed to cross the floor. That you should, if you want to change parties, you should have to resign and run in a by-election. But I'm sorry, that is not how our system works, and I never want it to be the way our system works, because that will give more power to party brass 
than individual members. And I want more, I want this pendulum to swing the other way. I want more power to individual members of parliament, and then we will have better people running for parliament, people that can say, I know you think that, but in my riding of, let me use my example, my riding of Ottawa South, people think this. And then you make the argument from your philosophical position, if you're a conservative or a new Democrat, or from the position of how it gets you to power from the liberal perspective, you make your argument from that position. But you don't just take what Party Brass says because Party Brass said so. But a lot of you think, oh, no, you should never be allowed to cross the floor. Winston Churchill crossed the floor several times. He wasn't only a rat, as they called him. He was a re-rat. And he is considered one of the greatest statesmen of Western civilization. I don't believe that you need to resign and run for your seat again if you change. Because sometimes the party you signed up for is not the party that you get. And things change. And this liberal party has moved further and further to the left. And I don't think that that's where Leona Aleslev is. And so she left to join the conservatives. And that leaves Andrew Scheer crowing a bit. He says he welcomes her into the party. And in fact, he's even giving her a position. As a member of the Conservative Caucus, Leona's perspective and expertise will be extremely valuable as we continue to build a team that can solve these complex problems and will demonstrate to Canadians that we are worthy of their trust in 2019. That's why I've asked Leona to serve as the Conservative Shadow Cabinet Secretary for Global Security. There you have it. Now, how did the, uh, the PM react to all this? He smiled as he always does. I wish her uh, well in her decision. I'm looking forward to getting back in the House to talk about uh, uh, what we're going to be doing for Canadians, what we've been working hard on all summer and uh, over the past few years. Uh-huh. I see. Now, she, um, Leona, by the way, Leona Ales, uh, Aleslev was asked, did she just make this decision because this riding was conservative, it flipped liberal, Justin Trudeau's not as popular in the suburbs of Toronto, and it's going to flip conservative? Don Martin had her on power play today and asked her, are you just positioning yourself because you know it's going to flip again? No, I'm here to do what I can while I'm elected to earn the salary that the taxpayer pays me. And I need to be able to look back and know that I did everything I could. And you think the riding's going to accept this? Because sometimes they don't like floor crossers that don't consult with them through a by-election, say. And that will be their decision in the next election. But between now and the next election, it's my job to serve them to the best of my ability. And then I will be judged and they'll decide whether I've done a job that they wanted me to do. Interesting. Now, was she promised anything? This is always the question, right? Well, what were you promised? I remember when the gray walls were being courted by Tim Murphy, and we all heard the uh, the recordings. Give you a nice, comfy place to land. What does that mean? Are you going to offer somebody a job? We know that Belinda Stronach didn't move without being offered a a prime position in cabinet. And in those cases, those could, if you had proof, be considered an inducement which could be illegal. But in this case, she's leaving the governing party to go to the opposition. So what on earth was she offered? What was she promised by Sheer? I swore an oath to the country 
and I'm very proud of the Prime Minister of our country. And so when a Prime Minister comes to visit the constituents that he serves, then you honour that. But... But... I also serve the constituents and the country, and so it's my responsibility to determine whether or not I'm doing everything I can to serve them well. Mm. And it since then... I've made a decision because I need to be part of a team of strong leadership with Andrew Shear. All right. So what was it that uh, Leona uh, uh, Aleslev was raising with the liberals that they ignored her on? It's a combination of a number of things. Essentially, we're looking at a perfect storm. Challenges here at home from tax reform to trade. Uh, and then, of course, an unprecedented global instability where we're watching international relationships and alliances under threat. So it wasn't just one thing. It was a number of things that came together. A number of things. Interesting, though. Very, very interesting. Would love to hear your thoughts. I'm already getting some emails saying that this should never, ever happen. That, uh, well, uh, let me just read to you. Mark says, I don't agree with any person crossing the floor. No exception. That part of me despises Justin Trudeau and is useless, uh, morally morally relative, divisive, idea, politics, obsessed, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, it goes on way too long on a rant, but says people should not be able to cross the floor. I disagree. That's the way our system works. That's the way our system operates, has always been thus. And I don't want to give party brass any more power than they want, that they already have. I want to take it away. I'll tell you about Beverly McLaughlin's lingerie. Or, sorry, uh, the, the fact that Simons won't be selling Beverly McLaughlin lingerie when we come back. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just think about it for a minute. Coming home and you hand the bag over to your wife or your girlfriend and you're like hey honey got you something want to go try it on something special and she looks in the bag and she's like what's the beverly mclaughlin line of lingerie what's your answer at that point well it's uh something you wear under your robes it's uh sure it's not exciting but it's judicially judiciously active I mean, we can reinterpret fundamental freedoms and fun here. Let's take consent to a new level, baby. I'm just, how do these conversations go? And I want to know what the conversation was like at Simon's department store when they decided to name a line of lingerie after Beverly McLaughlin. Peter Simon said to put out an apology and full disclosure, I got this in my email because I'm, um, I shop at Simon's. I like them. I, you know, it's, uh, it fairly, still fairly new to me. I know they tried going into Bayshore. I believe they tried going into Bayshore a few years ago. That didn't work. They built the, the store here. It's kind of a medium sized store by Simon standards. They're out of Quebec city. And yes, it's Simon's not Simon's. It's Simon's. Bunch of Scots started this place in 1840, and um, 
And that's part of the email. That's how I know this. Uh, so Peter Simons, though, had to put out this apology today. And it says, La Maison Simons recently launched a new line of women's lingerie styles that we named after a number of pioneering, inspirational Canadian women who have made an historic contribution to our country. Huh. Okay, interesting. The email goes on. As president of La Maison Simons, I allowed the use of the right Honorable Beverly McLaughlin's name to market one of our products without her permission or knowledge. This initiative was in poor taste, and I offer my heartfelt and sincerest apologies for this inappropriate use of Miss McLaughlin's name, as well as that of the other women. I don't even know what the other women were. All we know are McLaughlin at this point. He continues to write in the email, Since 1845, generations of my family have aspired to build an organization that never wavers from our values of respect, empathy, and responsibility to the communities we live in. Realizing my error, I have discontinued and destroyed all material related to this campaign. Our organization will be meeting to ensure that we learn from this incident. Finally, at Ms. McLaughlin's behest, Simons will reach out to the Cornerstone Housing for Women in Ottawa and participate in their fundraising campaign. Once again, my sincerest apologies to Ms. McLaughlin and all our customers. Best regard, Peter Simons. Oh, congratulations to Ms. McLaughlin for just saying, okay, <laughs> and, and who who would want their name to be used for any product without their consent? Then you find out, oh, they're using your name to sell lingerie. Okay, that's kind of personal. I really would have liked to have known about that. Uh, so what do you do? Well, Beverly McLaughlin said, reach out to Cornerstone Housing for Women, and you're going to help them fundraise and apologize. So they've apologized. They're going to do this fundraising. I'm not going to stop shopping at Simon's. I think they're fantastic. And I I look forward to actually checking out their stores in Montreal and Quebec City because all the Quebecers I know that shop there love the place. And I think we've only got a medium-sized store here down at the Rideau Center. And they just have things that you don't have elsewhere, including until recently Beverly McLaughlin lingerie. But that's another story. That's not a section that I'm generally shopping in. Uh, So that is just a weird story. Uh, When we come back, Trump and the Supreme Court is going to be the discussion that we have with Megan Barth from the Media Equality Project. She is a national spokeswoman for MediaEqualizer.com. Have you heard about the charges being laid against uh, Brett Kavanaugh? And they're being championed by people that defended Bill Clinton, which makes it all the weirder. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. She came forward um, when she believed that it was her civic duty to alert 
her, uh, her representative and then Senator Feinstein about her serious concerns. But she first came forward when uh, the nominee's name was on a short list. That's the voice of Deborah Katz. She's the attorney that has been retained by Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. That's the woman that, until this past weekend, was unnamed. Now, uh, she is un- or was unnamed in making an accusation that when she was 15 and when Judge Brett Kavanaugh was 17, that he assaulted her at a house party, that he put his hand over her mouth, that she thought she was going to die, and that he laid on top of her, and she thought he was forcing him on her. There's never actually an accusation of sexual assault, but they it's kind of implied in there. Now, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford is a professor who is actively anti-Trump, and Deborah Katz is someone that has spoken out against people that have come out with sexual allegations against Democrats, from Bill Clinton through to, um, well, Al Franken recently. But don't worry, she's on the case now and wants to make sure that this judge, just as Brett Kavanaugh, is thoroughly vetted. Her story has to be uh, carefully uh, listened to and vetted. But thus far, the nominee has uh, refused to even acknowledge if he knows her or, or if he went to school with her. Hmm. There might be a reason for that. We'll ask our next guest about that. But uh, U.S. President Donald Trump saying that, uh, yeah, there's going to be a full process and that uh, he says there may be a little delay needed on the confirmation vote, but still thinks it's going to work out. The FBI has, I think, gone through a process six times with him over the years where he went to higher and higher positions. Uh, He is somebody very special. At the same time, we want to go through a process. We want to make sure everything is perfect, everything is just right. Uh, Megan Barth is the co-chair of the Media Equality Project, national spokeswoman for MediaEqualizer.com. It's a watchdog on the intersection of media, technology, and government. And, and Megan, this kind of touches on all three, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. And thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good to speak to you again, Megan. It's uh, Brett Kavanaugh comes across as... The all-American suburban dad that coaches the girls—I uh, believe it's basketball team, isn't it? Is it basketball or volleyball? Uh, yes, it's—I I believe it's an all-Catholic girls' school basketball team. Yeah, you know, and he just seems like an Oshucks guy. Now, sometimes you might say, "Well, those are guys you got to be careful of," but I don't get any creepy vibes off of him. And there was nothing until late last week when. Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein came forward with this letter. Walk us through what happened. Uh, Yes, Dianne Feinstein, the 85-year-old senator from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area of Northern California, sat on this woman's, uh, I guess you could call it, uh, alleged uh, uh, proclamations or her story. She sat on her story for about two months. Now, keep in mind, during this time, Senator Feinstein had met uh, with uh, the justice nominee, Kavanaugh, and she never raised these concerns. She waited until the 11th hour. Uh, he's supposed to be confirmed this Thursday. She waited until the 11th hour to anonymously publish these allegations. And then a few days later, after uh, the uh, accuser had scrubbed her social media profile of all things anti-Trump and relating to her being a Democrat activist, she then decided to come forward with her lawyer. Uh, my question is, where was Gloria Allred? Was she already did, uh, retained by somebody else too busy to come out with the Democrat smear campaign, the politics of personal destruction, 
that the Democrats have engaged in against not only Donald Trump and uh, Judge Roy Moore, who was up for uh, a senatorial bid in Alabama, but this goes back to Clarence Thomas. Yeah, well, and look, Megan, I'm going to say that I think there's a world of difference between Roy Moore and Clarence Thomas. I think there may have been something there with Roy Moore, but with Clarence Thomas, that was, we can't have a black conservative on the Supreme Court. Right, and neither could the Democrats have a Hispanic uh, on the Supreme Court that was a conservative by the name of Miguel Estrada. Mm -hmm. And there might be a world of difference between Roy Moore, but there isn't a world of difference between the typical smear campaigns uh, of the Democrats against conservative men, whether they're black or white. Uh, Roy Moore's accusers have suddenly disappeared. Uh, They were uh, accusing him of no less than pedophilia. They have not taken their claims uh, to a higher court. They are not suing him. As a matter of fact, he's suing them for libel. Uh, We cannot uh, discard due process. Uh, When the Democrats claim that all women must be believed, oh, really? Well, then where is due process for the accused? Uh, Where's due process for Paula Jones, Juanita Broderick, and we can go down the list of all the accusers against Bill Clinton. Or Keith Ellison. Or or Keith Ellison, or who's one of the most powerful Democrats, or Al Franken, Mm -hmm. who Deborah Katz, now the lawyer for this uh, this woman, uh, Christine uh, Ford, to uh, Christine Blasey Ford, uh, she was defending, uh, uh, what's his face, Um, Franken. Right. And she's also defending, uh, basically, she's defending Keith Ellison. Now, let's not forget that Keith Ellison's accusers have actually substantiated their evidence with text messages and even videos, but have been entirely dismissed by the quote-unquote Me Too movement, which is a political movement of the Democrats. Uh, And it's also been dismissed by the DNC. He is second in line for the DNC, and we don't hear Uh, the need for Keith Ellison to step down or recuse himself from his powerful position. And so the hypocrisy that the Democrats have displayed and the double standard that the Democrats have displayed historically, time and time again, I do believe is going to largely backfire on them because the story of the accuser uh, keeps changing. She doesn't... Now, for example... I am a woman. If my life was threatened, uh, sexually violently threatened, as she claims hers was when she was 15, I would not forget where I was. I would know exactly where I was. I would know, I would know exactly and, and who was in the room. Let's talk about and this she, for a, a moment. Because sure. In speaking with uh, Megan Barth, she is with uh, MediaEqualizer.com, um, the woman that's come forward to accuse Justice Kavanaugh says, well, it, it was at a house party, and I was 15, and she and this, or, or sorry, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, and his friend, I believe his name is Mark Judge, they were 17. So she knows that much. She knows they right. were two years older. She knows that they were at a house party, but asked where the house party was, they don't know. And both Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh said they could not figure out, based on the description of the incident, who this woman was, because it wasn't a case of, as our prime minister said, when a groping allegation came out against Justin Trudeau, oh, she remembers it differently than me. The two of them said, we don't remember a thing. Right. And and, and this is over 35 years ago. Um, so, you know, I understand if their memories are a little bit cloudy, but again, she remembers just enough 
to try to put a nail in his nomination coffin. But again, she stresses that she feared for her life. She literally thought that she was going to be killed. And you're telling me that she doesn't remember how many people were in the room because that story keeps changing, uh, where the party was, the town. Uh, I don't care if she doesn't remember the address, but just the vicinity. I mean, if you truly thought your life was threatened, uh, and then all of a sudden, 35 years later, she feels the need to come forward, not during the time when he was up for federal judgeship, uh, not at the time when the FBI had investigated and done background on him six different times. At the 11th hour, the Democrats pull this tactic. They find a progressive patsy uh, in, by, uh, by, by the name of this accused uh, in order to do their bidding in the politics of personal destruction because they cannot argue uh, for a platform. They do not have a platform to stand on, so they resort to character assassination in order to regain their power because, the, because power is the only thing that matters to Democrats, not women's lives, not young girls' lives, not the middle class or the lower class. It's simply power. I, uh, I just looked up how old Brett Kavanaugh is. He's 53 years old. Now, that puts him a few years older than me, but not that much older. Then, Megan, I could tell you parties that I was at when I was 15 that are significant to me. I can tell you nights that weren't that significant, that, but that something funny happened, that something that you would tell others about happened. If I was being attacked, it, there are stories that I've told on air of me being attacked at 15, 16 years old. I would remember these things. I, yes. I, I have great deal of difficulty believing a woman that took 35 years to come forward and then doesn't know any details, just that these two guys were there and um, uh, I happen to really oppose their politics. It seems like a hit job. It seems like the weaponization of the Me Too movement. Well, it is. It's the weaponization of allegations. And, and this is what, what was my original point, is that the Democrats have turned these allegations into political weapons. Uh, these women are, women are nothing but political pawns. Uh, they are crying wolf and doing actually much more damage to those who have been severely abused or assaulted. Uh, when we look at the every woman must be believed that comes forward, uh, well, what about the woman that came forward at uh, University of Virginia uh, against the lacrosse team uh, and claimed that she was gang raped? Uh, that story was ran by the Rolling Stone. Uh, and the uh, men on campus uh, lost their charter, nearly lost their lives, were expelled from school. That turned out to be a lie. Uh, what about the Duke lacrosse team? Uh, the Duke lacrosse team was accused of raping a uh, African-American, which turned out to be a complete lie, a fabrication. But they lost uh, their scholarships and their team and were defamed and libeled in the mm-hmm. public uh, court of public opinion. And then we go up to Columbia, uh, uh, college, and a woman carried around a mattress on her back claiming she was raped, and in fact, that was a lie. So this is what happens. You well, will have and then as, as I said, and, and, and I don't yes. know if it made the news down in the United States, but our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, poster boy of the progressive feminist left, an allegation came out that 18 years ago he groped a woman, and his answer was he was given a pass by the media. In fact, Brett Kavanaugh's 
the accusation against Brett Kavanaugh have received more media attention in Canada than the allegation against Prime Minister Trudeau that he groped a woman 18 years ago in his answer when he was finally asked after several weeks of this floating around online was, well, she has a different memory of it than I do. So there and is he a, was com- given a pass, right? There's a complete totally double fine. standard. Yes. Yes. Well, the double standard is obviously practiced here as well. So we do have that in common more than a border. Yes. And that is the double standards of the progressives, the ones who always claim to be the champions of women, but then give these serial harassers uh, or even the uh, accused harassers, as long as they're a Democrat or a progressive or lean the correct political way, then the feminists look the other way. All right. Uh, do you think that uh, that Brett Kavanaugh will be confirmed on on Thursday? Uh, it, rumor has, and this is a very fast developing story, so forgive me if I'm not completely up to speed as it keeps changing. But I was just on another road radio program here, and uh, the host informed me that the hearing is going to be postponed or confirmation be postponed until uh, I believe next week because I do believe the accuser and the accused, Brett Kavanaugh, are going to go in front of Congress. And this is exactly what needs to happen. If she wants to be public, please become public. Show us your face. Uh, be put under oath uh, and, and make sure that the, uh, you know, the depositions and all the evidence is presented, because as an accuser, that should be at minimum what she's required to do. I, I did see Justice Kavanaugh asking for that very thing to happen, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, Perhaps it's uh, it's the right thing for for all sides to come forward. Thanks for the time today, Megan. Anytime, Brian. Thank you. Megan Barth, co-chair of the Media Equal Equality Project, national spokeswoman for the MediaEqualizer.com. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll tell you about um, Mayor Watson's campaign launch coming up and this bizarre story of the murder with the cops. We'll talk about pot, but next... Elsie went to FanFest. How awesome or awful was that? The leader of the unofficial opposition, Brian Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Uh, good. I mean, pace has been high. I think guys are excited to kind of get through those first day and first three days and, and kind of unwind. Uh, I think our, our team has taken a step forward with our conditioning and our, our intensity, which is, which is good. As Mark Stone out at FanFest, uh, what was that like going out to FanFest after a lot of fans felt like they got kicked in the teeth? Stephen Ellsworth was there. Elsie? Yeah. Tell us about it. How was it? We, we, I saw some of the videos. Sarah Freemark asking somebody live on air, so what, uh, what player do you like the most? Because this is all about the players. What player do you like? Carlson. Oh. Ouch. Okay, next. Uh, what was it like at post-Carlson trade? Uh, you know what? It wasn't that bad. There was a decent lineup um, headed into the main gates there, although um, someone uh, hopped out of a car in a Maple Leafs jersey, which I frankly don't understand, but... I've never understood all the least fans it sends. <laughs> it's things. official. They're everywhere, Brian. They're, They're everywhere you look. It's like a bad fungus. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, the atmosphere was good. You know, it was 
it was mostly people bringing their kids, grandparents bringing their grandkids and, and the kids, you know, they're energetic. They had a great time during the intermissions. Um, they were giving away prizes to the kids, even if they didn't complete the challenge, you know, they, yeah, they still gave them well, prizes. I was talking so, to Brianna Jackson about the kids' news conference. Did you see that? At no, all? I, I was she, watching the practices in the scrimmage, so I didn't bother to take uh, in anything else. Okay, well, she, you know, I, I've heard parts of it before, and she's been to it before, and we both agree it's absolutely precious. But yeah. what was it like to watch Tierney, DeMello, and the others? Take, take to the ice. Um, they 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 all had their moments. There are actually a, a lot of uh, prospects I didn't really uh, know that much about uh, that uh, made some good impressions. Uh, of course, Brady Kachuk. Uh, he had a good game. He I think he had he had at least a goal, maybe two. Showed some good chemistry with Mark Stone. Alex Formanton though was probably the best player out there. I'd say he had at least five chances in the offensive do- zone to do something and. In an area where Ottawa's lacking on the wings, that's definitely great to see a guy like Alex Foreman to, now, uh, showing he, off his he was skills. with the team already. He wasn't part of this trade. Uh, no, uh, but uh, he, he wasn't part of this trade, but he, he's one of the guys of the future that the Sens are going to be leaning towards. Okay, where is so is he with the Senators now, or is he uh, still with Belleville? He played last year with the OHL's London Knights, and I'm okay. not quite sure where he's going to play this year yet. So what was the mood like, though? I mean, were you talking to other fans? How angry were people? Well, I, I, I'm guessing most of the people showing up are the true believers. Yeah, uh, obviously, after a week from hell, you you know, they'd still have to believe in the team. But uh, I, I was talking uh, to this guy in front of me, and he was with his t- uh, two, three kids. And uh, we were talking about, uh, oh, you know, Nick Paul, this is going to have to be a big year for him. So it's clear that some of them are still invested in the team. They care about how certain players uh, might do, whether it be good or bad. So there are still some fans out there that are willing to stick through it to the end. All right. All right. Well, let's hope so, because it's got to be about the team, not the owner. Yep. It's got to be about the team, the players, the fans. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, uh, Mayor Watson had some big announcements yesterday after I got off the air, of course. And he wouldn't tell me them before he got off the air. Uh, There was a weird police investigation over the weekend that I'll tell you about. And Donald Trump declassifying information about Russia, 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 Russia. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. All right, you can call me ages, you can call me sexist. I'm just laughing still at the idea of the Beverly McLaughlin line of lingerie. Um, it's, uh, it's weird. Um, <clears throat> very... Very strange. They named a line of lingerie for the former chief justice without talking to her. First off, I know they said they wanted a group of inspiring women, and and not to sound ageist, but a 75-year-old retired former Supreme Court justice, I'm not sure that is who I would pick to, you know, head up my line of lingerie. That's not being ageist or anything else. It's just odd and i'm pretty sure that's how beverly mclaughlin felt when she found out because they didn't ask her 
at Simon's. Can we name this for you? Um, well, you already did. Kind of weird. <sighs> Mayor Jim Watson. Speaking of lingerie. Mayor Jim Watson. <laughs> There's nothing to, there is nothing to do with Jim Watson and lingerie. I do not get the segue into that story. At There's all. no segue. No segue at all. That's a really awkward segue. It really is. Speaking of lingerie, Jim Watson. Uh, <laughs> Jim Watson made his first major platform announcement. Now, this is not his entire platform, but it is a, a bit of a campaign kickoff. Well, he's already had one. He's already launched his campaign, but he he did a fall rally. And he said, if reelected, here's one of the things he's promising to do. Increase cycling tourism. And let festivals use security guards rather than police officers on paid duty. I think, you know, we can uh, use those police officers to do what they were really trained to do, and that's to uh, track down criminals and and do uh, substantive work as opposed to sitting at a barricade for the Santa Parade. Okay, I am not too sure about the idea of cycling tourism through Ottawa. I know that in Quebec, cycling tourism is huge, and I know other places have tried it. Um, You know, here's one of the crazy things is that... um, they uh, they try and do cycling tourism in some of the wine country regions, and I don't get it, like Prince Edward County and um, Niagara on the Lake. Cycle in between the in between the wineries. All right, but just like I don't think you should be uh, drinking in between all the wineries, I'm not sure that you should be cycling. In between all the wineries. Eventually, things could go badly. That's not the type of cycling tourism he's looking for, but uh, Quebec cycling and motorcycling are both huge. I don't know that's going to be that big. Uh, He is also talking about lowering the patio fees for restaurants and bars. I think that's probably a good thing. Um, Because... The cost and fees for businesses, and I've talked to, you know, well, you've heard my friend Dave Howard on the show talking about the the fees that they have to pay. You've heard uh, Elliot Finkelman, uh, well, also a friend of mine, but also the the host of Travel Talk here on News Talk five eighty CFRA. Uh, the the fees they have to pay to put up a sign, a sandwich board sign outside their own business. Um, these can be exorbitant. These can add up, and it turns people off because. Each and every action that you do as a business owner has a fee attached to it. And eventually you say, you know what? I'm just done. So you want to roll back these fees, encourage more business. I think that's a good thing. And also uh, more films being shot here in town, including the push for a film festival. I don't think there's these are bad things. Uh, but again, the mayor doesn't have a, an awful lot of competition for his job. Uh, Bruce McConville is essentially running to be mayor of Vanier. And I say that with all due respect, Bruce, I've only ever heard good things about you and your business over the last 20 years, but I haven't heard anything about your campaign other than the fact that you want to run for against the sh- uh, shelter moving to Vanier. You want to talk about anything else, you can email me, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. We'll have you on the show. 
We'll talk to you beyond the news at CFRA.com. Let me know. And Clive Doucette, Clive, I've talked about your transit plan. You want to come on and talk about that? We can talk about that. But I've seen three Clive Doucette signs, one in Old Ottawa East, one in Westboro area, and one in Blossom Park. Those are the three Clive Doucette signs that I've seen. And I've seen about 10 on the same road as one of the uh, areas that I saw, uh, 10 Jim Watson signs on the same road that I saw one of the Clive Doucette signs. A sign does not mean that someone's won the election, but, you know, it doesn't look good. Uh, Kelly is calling in about Justin Trudeau and the bizarre l- lingerie line. I'm, um, I don't know what to say about the lingerie line, Kelly. Uh, hello, how are you? Long time. I was beginning to think you gave up your show to fill out for the others. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm a journeyman and I go where I'm needed. Well, that's good. Talk about being a good Christian. And, uh, <laughs> no such thing as a good Christian. We're all fallen. Anyway, uh, you're, you're calling about Trudeau and uh, the lingerie no, no, line. Well, actually, it's just uh, I, you asking, uh, you were talking about that, which I just turned on, because it's the only Canadian news I listen to, okay? So that's where I get the the feel, and then I go, okay, that's it, that's enough of Canadian news. Then I switch over. <laughs> well, <laughs> then you... I switch over to listen to Donald Trump, who Canada loves such a passion. <laughs> Isn't it, it's a strange, I, I, again, I don't mean to be ageist or anything else, but... Um... If I was marketing lingerie, Beverly McLaughlin would not be one of the first people that I would say, let's put her name on the the label. Brian, let me tell you, this is how confused and demonic the Western culture is. Women, every woman is like, oh, me too, me three, me four. Yet, women want to be on the equal platform as men, to be recognized and whatever, yet. They uh, they would take a seventy five year woman to put her name on the lingerie, and well, in, in fairness to that... her, in fairness to her, she didn't even know. I, I, I would sue them. <laughs> I, I I think that's why they apologized was to avoid the lawsuit because when she found out, I don't believe that she was very happy. Why do we have in the so-called modern era, which is just the, the, the confusion from the devil in women, like now we see what is happening to Kavanaugh, the guy in the state, right? This is the thing. I did feminist theory in university just to desecrate it to the bits and pieces. This is how distorted and confused the Western world is because it's so purely demonically, intrinsically vile. They are like totally lost within their own uh, crazy mind. From a woman, uh, biblically, you know, women have always been the uh, the uh, culprit to evilness, and <laughs> yet women scream every day. Oh, this man fondled me and groped me. Yet they race down the road to put an old woman's name on a lingerie. Well, uh, but, you, but equal, again, Kelly, again, in fairness to to former Chief Justice McLaughlin, she did not know. They didn't ask her. And this is what makes it so weird. But what I'm saying is, uh, Brian, is that uh, why do we have need to be parading in lingerie like meat in a market, which is what really women are in the beauty industry? It is. It is what it is. I know as a guy, you're going to try to defend that. I I think we do not need to have such filth 
but this is what governs most women. And yet, when they know they cannot uh, get a job by their own merit, they cry, oh, I'm a woman, I was groped, I was fondled. It is just the, 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 the insanity of women makes every woman look stupid when the majority, yes, is stupid. Because in this culture, Brian, because we don't have God, the vileness is just makes me nauseous. I was telling your producer, really, if it's not for my dog to uh, travel with them internationally, I would have flown out of Canada a long time ago, especially come next month. Look at the, the filth we're going to have to add to add to the problem we have. Dope. Because the Prime Minister, I hope the next time he goes to the state, they will chuck him in jail because he's going to have traces of dope on him. I say, I hope oh, he's Kelly. going to nail Canada. Kelly, yes, it is. I gotta, I gotta let you go on that. Uh, they're not going to throw him in jail, and, and I don't think that they ever will. But a lot of regular Canadians, to Kelly's point, a lot of regular Canadians will face problems. Uh, due to the the policies of Justin Trudeau. As for um, women wearing lingerie, I think most women are not wearing it running around in the streets. I think uh, most are buying it for intimate moments with their partners, and that's completely fine. I just also think that most women want to be asked before their name's put on it. Like, what was the tagline for Beverly McLaughlin lingerie? Judiciously active, naughty knickers? How do you sell that? They're naughty knickers, but they're judiciously active. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll tell you about this bizarre police investigation when we come back. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So yesterday morning, I'm in on the news feed, and I'll be in on the news feed this coming Sunday. Uh, Matt Harris and I are splitting the weekends. You'll take Saturday. I'll take Sunday. If you don't get enough of us during the week, you can get us then. If you get too much of us during the week, well, too bad. I, I don't know what else to say. Do you uh, have to draw straws for that? Um, I, you know, I, I'd say I got the, the fuzzy end of the lollipop on that one because i got to be up on Sunday mornings, but the alternative was that I'd be up on – and on air at 7 a.m. Sunday, or sorry, 7 a.m. Saturday after finishing on at 10 p.m. on Friday. Right. So in that sense, I guess it's better for you, right? Yeah. It's better for me. Oh, why, well, why don't you just work on Saturday, make it six straight days? Well, it's six straight days no matter what. It's just when do I start? And, and I didn't want to finish at 10 o'clock. And if you've never done a, a live show, there's a lot of energy going into a live show, whether it's a live stage show, live comedy, theater, radio, whatever. It, but when, you, when you're off stage, off air, you've still got adrenaline. You've still got energy from the show. And it takes a little while to come down. So you can't just, okay, uh, I'm off air at 10 o'clock. I'm asleep by 1020. I don't know anybody that can do that. And... So to be up the next morning and on air at 7? Yeah, no, that's crazy. So I'm coming in for the show on um, on Sunday morning, and I see this email. And it's from the Ottawa police, and it just says uh, media release and then homicide.pdf. And I'm trying to open it on my phone, and it's a little 
long and weird and, and I can't quite read it. And I said, okay, I'll get to it. By the time I could get to it, we're being warned, don't use this. And you should see the long list of people that got this from all kinds of media outlets, local, national, provincial, all over the place. It's the full report from the Ottawa police on the homicide that occurred at Bank and Walkley on Saturday night into Sunday morning. It was a little bit bizarre. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Hotel guests describing what it was like. I went out for a cigarette and I'm like, there were cop cars all over the place and cops all over. And I'm like, what is going on here? What the heck is going on here is right. I seen the guys they had down there, uh, down in the lobby. They had some guys down in the lobby. That's about all that we know. Deputy uh, Inspector Patricia Patterson said that uh, police found a man's body inside one of the rooms. Police wouldn't say whether this was targeted, gang-related. She wouldn't say a whole heck of a lot, despite the fact that we all had a report. Our major crime investigators are using all the tools that would be available to them, as well as anybody who may have been in the vicinity. Uh-huh. I see. Now, CTV and Bell Media, CFRA included, have decided we're not going to put this report out there. We're not going to put what is in that report on the air because it's pretty sensitive. This is the information police would use to build their case to take to a crown prosecutor to uh, charge somebody. And if we all put it out there, uh, any case would fall apart. It completely would. And so we don't know if the people named in it are guilty of murder. Are they witnesses to murder? We, you know, But if we put it out there, it could be problematic. Now, Inspector Patterson is is talking about why this is important not to put the information out there. See, the investigation is paramount, uh, and we want to make sure that there's been no further um, jeopardizing. The investigators are going to do whatever they can to make sure that this has no impact on it. Uh-huh. Well, how the heck did this happen? That's all part of our investigation that we're looking into right now internally, uh, and we're going to take whatever steps we, we need to to make sure, A, that it doesn't happen again, but to find out how it did happen. And then, obviously, if there's notifications that need to be made to larger entities like the Privacy Commissioner. Hey, um, uh, Inspector Patterson, through Chief Bordelow to you, how about you give the media some credit? We got your dirty deeds done dirt cheap and didn't put them out there. How about the next time there's a pedestrian and, and I mean this in the figurative sense, not the literal sense, but a pedestrian incident that happens, uh, something that's mundane. And we're asking for a little bit of information. How about you people stop stonewalling us on absolutely everything and treating us as, as if you can't tell us a single thing about any case because they're all the most important things ever? We kept your dirty secrets this time. Imagine what would have happened if we didn't. I heard Bill Carroll saying this this morning, and I've been saying it for a long time. The Ottawa police are horrible at releasing information. Bill says it's the worst of any police organization that he's dealt with. Like me, he's worked in many cities. But unlike me, he hasn't worked in Ottawa before. And I used to be a beat reporter in Ottawa, and I had good relationships with the cops, and I still do. But they are so slow about releasing information. And that has to come from higher up. Does it come from the chief? Does it come from Chief Bordelow? I had a great chat with Chief Bordelow on Friday. Does it come from somewhere in the middle ranks? 
I don't know. But they need to start releasing information a bit speedier on the things that they can if they want us to do our civic duty when it comes to information like this. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So last week, somebody uh, texted me and said, are you watching the Ontario legislature? Which would normally be followed by said no one ever. But that's when people were being kicked out as Todd Smith was introducing the bill to, uh, for Bill C, uh, Bill 31, sorry, I keep calling it C31, which is for Commons 31. We don't have a Commons or a Senate, so it's just Bill 31 down at the Ontario legislature. And now I'm actually watching, and I was watching at midnight last night. My sleep patterns are all out of whack between doing mornings, afternoons, middays, evenings. It, they're all out of whack. I have real trouble sleeping these days. I gotta, I gotta sort that out. Maybe I gotta talk to Doctor Barry Dworkin. Um, but I was up watching at midnight, and it's on one of the TVs next to me. I got a bank of four TVs in front of me, and one of them's tuned into the Ontario Parliamentary Channel. And one of the NDP members of the legislature is standing up and talking about how it's undemocratic. It's undemocratic what Doug Ford's doing. Um, huh. How do I, how do I put this when somebody stands up and they want to describe that someone using the, the legislature actually using part of the Constitution, part of the Charter of Rights to pass a bill through a legislature is undemocratic. How would, how would I describe that to them? You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, I think that's how I would do it. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. No, no, it really doesn't. They keep saying it's undemocratic. It's not. It's actually, actually the definition of democracy. And if you missed my interview with Norman Spector earlier, then I hope you're following me on Facebook or on Twitter. And hey, folks, I am 66 people shy, 66 people shy of 30,000 folks on Facebook. And I remember when I came on this station at one point and said, I'm 50 people shy of 11,000. Well, I'm 65 short of 30,000 people following me on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook and you know most of you are, start following me because you're going to love it. You're going to get my live videos. You're going to get my columns. You're going to get my blog posts. You're going to get what I do here at CFRA, and you're going to get here what I, uh, what I do elsewhere. And I'm going to post the interview that I did with Norman Spector earlier where he lays out what the people around the room when they brought in the notwithstanding clause actually thought. And it was an 8-2 to two verdict, if you listen to Norman Spector, who was deputy minister to the uh, premier of British Columbia at the time, then went on to work for the federal government under, I believe, Trudeau, then 
Mulrooney, then Kretchen. I hope I've got that order correctly. Maybe it wasn't Trudeau. It's definitely Mulrooney, then Kretchen. But he worked under several different stripes of government. Liberals trusted him. Conservatives trusted him. And Norman Spector's been out there on Twitter saying, everyone's freaking out about this. And by the way, Saskatchewan, for all the people saying, oh, yeah, but I mean, uh, come on. You got to use the notwithstanding clause on something as as mundane and something as small as the size of city government? Come on, this is supposed to be for the big things. Earlier this year, a bill passed by the Saskatchewan legislature used the notwithstanding clause to uphold funding for Catholic schools. It was a school board issue. School boards. Hmm. It's not a national crisis. It's not uh, suspending rights due to terrorism. It's not, uh, it's not some extreme thing. It's school boards. Did you, did, did you see it lead the CTV National News, the CBC National News, the Global National News? Not one of them. Not one. Was there a, a major editorial, a front-page story in the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Red Star, the National Post? Were there columns after columns after columns denouncing this as the end of democracy? No. No, not at all. But yet it happens in Toronto, and that's it. Uh, Let me give you some good news. The Amber Alert for a missing girl in Saskatchewan in North Battleford has been canceled. The child's mother saying on a Facebook post, words cannot express our emotions right now. Our daughter is safe at home, sleeping soundly, peacefully, surrounded by all the love in the world. The relief is indescribable. 5 p.m. Sunday, out in the Battlefords. I'm going to sound like a local and say I know that's what it's called. I happened to speak to John Gormley earlier today, who's from the Battlefords. Um, and I was talking to him about this very issue of the notwithstanding clause, and John told me it didn't even register as a debate in Saskatchewan. But John's from the Battlefords. And 5 p.m. Sunday, woman pulls up to this strip mall. Her daughter is in the back seat of the SUV. Now, she's a six-year-old girl. She's got uh, autism. She's got epilepsy. She's nonverbal. She needs medication every 12 hours or so. And she pulls up. Now, I don't get this part, but maybe she thought it was safe. She pulls up to this strip mall parks the car, leaves the keys in the ignition, the engine running, runs into the business. I don't know what kind of business. Was it a store? Was it a legal office? I don't know. No story that I've read has shown me that. Somebody hops in, drives away. This is not a parental abduction. This was just someone stealing an SUV with a kid in it. 14 hours the kid is gone. 14 hours, I'd be losing my mind. I would be losing my mind over this. But RCMP Corporal Rob Kane told reporters that the vehicle was found at about 6.45 local time 
in the area of North Battleford. The girl was still in the vehicle. It had been abandoned in a bush area about two kilometers away from the strip mall. Corporal King said he had no information on how long the vehicle had been in the bush area or who had left it there. We don't have any suspects at this time. We don't know what happened from when the car was taken until the car was found. The girl was conscious. She was found. She was taken to hospital for examination and to be reunited with her family. She was released from hospital later in the day. At that point, as the parents, there's only so much you care about what happened. As long as your girl is safe. And my guess is whoever stole that vehicle abandoned it very quickly. Very quickly after finding out that there was a kid in the inside. The story from the Ottawa Citizen, RCMP make terrorist hoax arrest in Ottawa. An Ottawa woman's been arrested by the Mounties, charged in connection with a terrorist hoax in Ottawa. It was last May. City of Ottawa officials received a letter that warned of a terrorist attack aimed at federal government buildings in LeBreton Flats and Tooney's Pasture, I believe it's called. Oh, no, wait, that's just Melanie Jolie. Uh, Tunney's Pasture. The RCMP Integrated National Security Enforcement Team worked with Ottawa Police Services to investigate the origins of the letter. The woman was arrested this past Thursday, charged with taking part in a terrorist hoax, uttering threats, and she is to appear in the Ottawa Courthouse on October 11th. No identity released yet. Unlike this shooting on Riverside Drive, you remember it a little while ago? Um, It was... uh, a shooting last month at the Riverside Pub. Well, 34-year-old Rabi al-Naziri is facing seven criminal charges in relation, relation to what happened then. According to police reports, shots were fired toward the pub at about 1 a.m. on August 26. No injuries as a result of the gunfire, but a bullet was lo- found lodged inside the bar at 3673 Riverside Drive, uh, Riverside Pub, it's uh, on Riverside down towards the Hunt Club area. Police believe the bullet was fired from inside a vehicle, which was outside the establishment at the time. And just staying on the police blotter for a second, a 16-year-old faces charges after three men were stabbed in the Bayshore area on Saturday night. How do you like that? 16-year-old charged after three men were stabbed. Patrol officers responded to an altercation involving a group of males on Woodbridge Crescent, southwest of Bayshore Park, at about 9.20. Now, this is not this is the Bayshore area. This is not the Bayshore Mall. Southwest of the Bayshore Park, around 9.20 p.m., Saturday night, their investigation led them to hospitals where they found the three victims, all with injuries that weren't considered life-threatening. But, you know, you get a nice shoved into you. Chances are you might want to go to the hospital. So they went to the hospital. They found the guys. Uh, The youth was arrested, charged with aggravated assault, two counts of assault with a weapon, before being released into a guardian's custody pending a court appearance. Of course, he's 16, so there's no name. And is not exactly local. But let me put this out there. Do you remember John Gotti? Well, the brother of John Gotti, Gene Gotti, has been released from prison after 29 years. And New York's uh, New York City's trigger-happy underworld is now on edge with the return of mob brother number one, says the New York Post. 
The 71-year-old gangster was recently released after 70, after serving 29 years in prison on a heroin tra- trafficking beef. The younger brother of the famed Teflon Don returns to the streets, an older and balding man. And now gangland, gangland observers fear that Gotti's return could trigger turmoil among the city's five families and what is what it means to their vice empires. New York Post says the Gambinos are running smoothly. Gambling, pills, construction unions, etc. cetera. Uh, that's what one law enforcement told the New York Post. The last thing they want is someone to put them back in the papers and on TV. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll wrap up talking about Trudeau, NAFTA, and the floor crosser when we come back. to be Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week this is beyond the news with brian Lilly on news talk 580 cfra now to me um elizabeth moss is always going to be zoe bartlett on west wayne and that's maybe unfair to her the show ran from 1999 to 2006 that is a lifetime ago for this young woman born in 1982, but she was just up at the Emmys, which, by the way, is showing on CTV News, or CTV, not CTV News, but on CTV Main Channel. And she's one of the stars of The Handmaid's Tale. And one of the reasons I have problems with her, she was in Mad Men. She had great roles in that. But one of the reasons I have problems with her in uh, um, The Handmaid's Tale and its dystopian uh, explanation of what life is like if these fundamentalist Christians take over and try and control your life is that she's a Scientologist. And the only people that talk about Scientology are the people that leave it, and they don't make it sound very good. Um, So it just seems very weird. i got to say that. Uh, Ellsworth, i got to ask you about this. Um, You were telling me that you met Christian Wallenin? Wallenin? Wallenin, yes. Christian Wallenin, one of the uh, the, the, the up-and-comers at the uh, Fan Fest on the weekend for the Ottawa Senators. You tweeted at him, thanking him for signing your book. Mm-hmm. And I, he- I, I got a book uh, from James uh, Duthie, uh, his, his uh, latest Last book. guy, love James yeah, Duthie. which was actually signed by James Duthie as well. And uh, I, I uh, was looking for uh, a sense prospect to come sign it, and uh, there was a question of uh, Willian's bunk. I'm just like, like, and I'll probably stop by and uh, speak to this guy. And just uh, the kindest dude out there, and uh, he was kind enough to sign my book and, and take then a picture not, with me as well. And then not only did he sign the book, but when you tweeted about that, yeah, what happened? He liked the tweet. Excellent. Class guy. His father, by the way, Craig Willian. Played with the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, my, my Won dad. Won the Stanley Cup with them. My dad was telling me that his dad uh, played in the NHL. And speaking of dads who played in the NHL, Brady Kachuk's dad, Keith Kachuk, who played in the NHL as oh, well yeah. for many years. And I swear, like, a tenth of um, the concourse or whatever you call it, the second floor concourse, was pretty much people lined up to get Brady Kachuk to sign stuff. Well, he is one of the top prospects, but uh, Christian Willanen, um kid out of Quebec City and uh, played a lot of his hockey in the United States, probably because his dad was, 
he's born in Quebec City because his dad was with the Nordiques and then mm-hmm. moved on to the the Avalanche. Uh, but um, you know, you got you got to hope for young guys like this coming into the Senators and being what they need to go forward. Absolutely, you really do. All right, do make sure that you check out my column on Justin Trudeau and how he's playing chicken with NAFTA. Uh, it's uh, it's published at the Toronto Sun. I've tweeted it out. I talked about it earlier in the show. And I posted it to Facebook as well. Share it on social media. Email it to your friends, your family, and and let people know about it. Because Justin Trudeau is playing chicken with your jobs. And folks need to know what's really happening. I don't think most of the media is bothering. I was listening to one of the political chat shows. And they're talking about, oh, what's the strategy for winning next year? And what are the polls saying? And how are you going to beat so-and-so? And you know what nobody talks about? Policy. And you know what I talk about incessantly because it matters? Policy. I don't just care about wins and losses. I care about what policy will somebody bring in if they win? And what will that mean for you? That's what's important, and that's what I try and bring to you. So make sure you share that. And uh, and also, later on today, later on tonight, I will be sharing the interview with Norman Spector, who was around the table when they talked about the notwithstanding clause, share the truth on that. It's a long interview. It's 16 minutes long. If you missed it, it's 16 minutes, but you will be riveted the entire time. That'll be up on Facebook and Twitter later on. Twitter.com slash Brian Lilly, Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, and of course at BrianLilly.com. Back at it again tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Remember, I'm on your side. <laughs>